Well, have you ever noticed that life can be a waiting game? When we're children, we wait to start school. Then we can hardly wait to get out of school. And we have to be old enough to drive. That requires some waiting. And we wait for our first job opportunity. And we wait in traffic. And we wait in line at the store. And we wait in restaurants. Did you know that when you go into a restaurant, there are five distinct waiting points? Count them. You wait to be seated. Then you wait to place your order. Then you wait for your food to come. Then you wait for your check. Then you wait for your change or a credit card receipt. So, whose idea was it to call the person serving us the waiter? We're doing the waiting. <laughs> then some days we wait at the doctor's office in a place appropriately called the waiting room. Like the guy that walked into a doctor's office and the receptionist asked him what he had. He said, shingles. She took down his name, address, medical insurance number, told him to have a seat. Fifteen minutes later, nurse came out to get him and she asked him what he had. He said, shingles. So she recorded his height, she weighed him, she took his medical history, she took him into an examining room. Half an hour later, another nurse came in and asked him what he had. He said, shingles. So she gave him a blood test, took his blood pressure, told him to take off his clothes and wait for the doctor. <laughs> then later, the doctor came in, asked him what he had. Shingles. The doctor asked, where? The guy said, outside on the truck, where do you want me to put him? <laughs> well, waiting is hard for us, especially today. We live in a very fast-paced world with fax machines and microwaves and high-speed internet that is never high-speed enough for us. And we get stressed out when a plane is delayed 30 minutes before it takes off. Never mind the fact that we're about to get on an airplane and in three hours we're going to fly all the way across the continent to the other side of the United States. Hello. <laughs> I saw a sign the other day in the mall that said, ears, ears pierced while you wait. Now people, are we that impatient? that we expect to get our ears pierced without waiting. Please. We're a fidgety, impetu impetuous people. Even our pain medications don't promise just fast relief. It's fast, fast, fast relief. And don't you love it when you call a business and you're informed by an automated voice that you have a 20-minute wait to talk to a real person? Life is just one experience after another that tests our patience. And maybe that's why the last recorded words in the Bible are a promise and a prayer about the ultimate weight that requires patience. Revelation 22, 20, he, that is, Jesus testifies to these things and says, yes, I am coming soon. And the apostle John responds, amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then, 
And only then will there be no more waiting, no more patience required because time will be irrelevant. Time will be no more. And you do know, don't you, that the only reason that Jesus has not returned to the earth is revealed in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise to come again, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance so God waits, and He's being patient, and my guess is that He may be waiting on someone here today to come to Christ and to be saved. Well, this morning we're continuing our journey through the book of James, and we're living life to the full. We want to live the good life now, and that means living with patience. So let's go to the text of Scripture and read James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the doors. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, did you notice the imperatives in this text? They were underlined there twice. James tells us to be patient, and that impresses on me that being patient is a matter of the will. It's a matter of personal discipline. It's a matter of spiritual discipline. It has little to do with genetics, little to do with temperament. It's a command. It's a command to be obeyed. It's not an elective. It is a requirement for those of us who've made Jesus our Savior and Lord. And this morning, I want to answer the three most obvious questions that arise from this topic. And the first one is, when is patience required? I think there are seasons in life when all of us have to discipline ourselves to be patient. One of those times would be when circumstances are uncontrollable. Now, I hope you've lived long enough to learn that there are things in your life over which you have absolutely no control. Now, you can control how you respond to them, but all of us have uncontrollable circumstances. And here in James 5, he uses the example of a farmer to illustrate his point. A farmer waits for the land to yield its crop. A farmer waits on the autumn and the spring rains, and he's got no control over whether the land will yield a crop so much as out of a farmer's control, the price of land, the price of equipment, the price of fuel, market prices when he takes his crops to the elevator, insect infestation, and the greatest unknown of them all to a farmer, the weather, heat, frost drought, 
rainfall, floods. You got to have a lot of faith to be a farmer. But really, all of us have to deal with uncontrollable circumstances, don't we? Things that you can't control about your family, about your own health, about your job security. Accidents happen. The economy is an area where we feel like we have no control. And of course, you know how most people try to control the uncontrollable in their lives, don't you? They worry. They pour a lot of energy into fretting and worrying. But listen, to worry about something you cannot control, think about it. To worry about something you cannot control only magnifies the negative impact of those circumstances. My friend and colleague at the Christian College, academic Dean Lynn Gardner, had the following uncontrollable circumstances in his life in the span of just 18 months. I want you to think about this. In the span of 18 months, he was diagnosed with interstitial pulmonary fibrosis. This is a progressive disease. It is a terminal disease without a full heart and lung transplant, which he endured at the Barnes Hospital in St. Louis in his mid-60s. And his wife, Barbara, was diagnosed with a benign tumor around her heart, required major surgery. Soon after, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, requiring surgery and chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And during this time, their younger son, 34-year-old Mark, an engineer, was killed in an accident on Interstate 44 one morning, traveling to St. Louis to deliver a device that he had invented. Mark left a three-year-old son and a young widow pregnant with their second child, a little girl who was born with birth defects, Doctors said were likely the result of the grief that her diabetic mother experienced when she received the news of her husband's sudden death. Eighteen months. Uncontrollable circumstances. And I have to tell you, Lynn taught me so much as I walked with him through life's toughest experiences. Never in my life. Have I witnessed such a strong and patient faith? So, so what are your uncontrollable circumstances today? My guess is you could write something down. Listen, friends, worry, it's a colossal waste of time. It's futile. Be patient instead. And be patient when people are unchangeable. I, I have read that a man marries a woman hoping she will never change, and a woman marries a man hoping he will. Two things you, gotta, you simply got to remember if you're going to live with patience. If you're going to live this life with patience, you got to get hold of these two things. Number one, you can't change people. Number two, you can't keep people from changing. We think sometimes that we can change people or that we can keep people from changing. If they start to change and we don't like to change, we think we can keep that from happening. No. Can you influence them? Yes. 
Can you change them? No. And we got to get this today. It's so important for us to understand this fundamental truth, and it's illustrated in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where Peter addresses Christian wives who are married to non-Christian husbands. It's a great passage that impresses the truth that it is not the words of the believing wife that will draw her husband to the Lord. It's her attitude, and it is her behavior. And Peter specifically identifies purity and reverence, the beautification of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, what Peter is saying is consistent faith, sincere faith, patient faith, showing itself in your life. That is the best path for you to spiritually influence the people in your life that you care about most. And listen, I know that this morning some of you have taken a step back. You have given up on trying to influence certain people in your life for Jesus and the church. They may be neighbors. They may be co-workers in the workplace. They may be your own children. They may be a mate. If you've taken a step back, if you've quit, if you've given up, Won't you renew yourself today in a commitment to make changes in yourself? And that will absolutely be the best way to influence them. So be patient when circumstances are uncontrollable. Be patient when people are unchangeable. And be patient when problems are unexplainable. And James gives us the greatest example of patience in the Bible when unexplainable problems arise. He references it in chapter 5, verse 11. Here's what he says. You have heard of Job's perseverance. This past week while I was studying, I thought, yeah, we at Crossroads, we've heard about Job's perseverance. We've heard a lot about Job in this past year, several times. But his is the kind of story you only need to hear once. You never forget it. It's a riches to rags story in the span of two days. Two days. He lost it all. His health, his wealth, his children all died. Incomprehensible financial and physical and emotional suffering And shallow-thinking people walked by Job and said under their breath, I wonder what Job did to make God so mad. And the worst part, Job had no insight. He had no clue as to why he was suffering. And for 37 chapters in the book of Job, God gave him no answers. And yet Job keeps looking to God for an explanation. He never gave up. And that's why James cites Job as an example for those times in life when we do not have answers. But some people, some people want no part of patient faith when they have unexplainable problems. They want answers to the question, why? Or they will turn their back and walk away from the Lord, but not without consequence. Folks, I know there are times when life does not seem fair, but but where did we get the idea 
that it would be. Where did we get that idea? Some things in life do not make sense. But someday we will know, even as we are known. And until then, what do we do? We look at Job. He did not understand. He did not get answers. But with all his suffering, Job maintained his patient faith. Did he question God? Yes. Did he pray to God? Yes. Did he rant at God? Yes. Did he plead with God? Yes. Did he turn his back on God? No. No. So when circumstances are uncontrollable, when people are unchangeable, when problems are unexplainable, be patient. Well, that brings us to question number two. Why is patience required? Well, it's required because patience reinforces in us two very important convictions. The first conviction is God is in control. James chapter 5, verse 7, James references the coming of the Lord. In verse 8, James says the coming of the Lord is near. Then in verse 9, James writes, the judge is standing at the doors. Three times in three verses and 300 times in the New Testament, there's a promise that Jesus is coming again. Folks, God is in control and Jesus is going to return and nothing can stop it. Only God knows the end from the beginning, and everything is right on schedule. Everything is right on schedule, and nothing is late. Psalm 33, 11, the Lord's plan stands firm forever. His thoughts stand firm in every generation. And my friends, I need to say it here. It is my opinion that there is nothing left to happen in time and space to precede the Lord's return if his coming was near when James wrote those words, then it's nearer today than ever. If the judge was standing at the door then, he could be taking a hold of the door handle right now. So I'm not looking for signs. The gospel doesn't have to be preached to every nation under heaven as a witness before Jesus can come back again. That happened on the day that the church was born, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And we've been living in the last days ever since the day of Pentecost. And we're not, ra we're not waiting for an Antichrist to rise, capital A, singular. Because the Apostle John wrote in the first century, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, the spirit of the Antichrist, capital A, singular, is already in the world. And in 2 John verse 7, it says that many antichrists, small a, plural, many antichrists have gone out into the world. All this to say, Jesus could come again today in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in an hour that we aren't thinking about it, like a thief in the night, the blast of the archangel's trumpet the splitting of the eastern sky, Jesus descending through the clouds. He puts one foot on Mount Everest, one foot in the Pacific Ocean, and He draws down the shade on life as we know it now. God is in control. 
The other reason why we should be patient is that it reinforces our conviction that God will reward patience. James chapter 5 verse 11 declares that we consider blessed those who've persevered. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now look, what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now I want to ask you in church today, do you really truly believe this? Do you believe that God is as good as, as His Word? Do you believe that with Him a thing promised is as good as a thing done? Jesus expanded on this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you'll be blessed if you're persecuted for doing the right thing. He said, if people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus said, if that happens to you, what should you do? Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. And this is why we Christians don't riot in the streets and we don't destroy property and beat people and burn flags and kill innocents and go crazy when people blaspheme the name or the character of Jesus. We know that Jesus Christ is no puny mortal prophet. He is no mere man. He's not some pathetic wimp. He doesn't need us to defend him. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is not damaged. He is not damaged or diminished in the slightest by shallow cynics or pseudo-intellectuals or mindless movie makers or militant Islamic unbelievers or pro profane blasphemers. Listen, folks, vile men did the worst they could do to Jesus on Calvary, but he rose from the dead in a glorified body, an immortal body never to die again, and he wants to do the very same for you. And if you'll let him, if you'll let him do his work of grace in your life today, you will experience, you will experience his eternal reward one day. One more question. How is patience lived out? Well, there are three ways according to our text. And the first is this, we need to wait diligently. In James chapter 5, back to the farmer. The farmer's waiting for the land to yield its valuable crop. And what is he doing? What's the farmer doing while he's waiting for the harvest? Well, my relatives on my mother's side were all farmers, and I never saw my uncles sitting around watching daytime television. They were up early, out in the fields, until after dark some days, working the ground, planting the seed, fertilizing, cultivating, working on the tractors and the combines, getting the barns and silos ready, all in anticipation of a bountiful harvest. And the promise of the coming of Jesus motivates us to be busy working the soil of people's hard hearts, planting Gospel seeds, witnessing, cultivating, serving, investing in kingdom work as we anticipate the harvest when the master comes back. 
So biblical patience is active. It is not passive. Now, see, non-believers, they can sit back and watch life happen. But we believers, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we want to take hold of life that is truly life. And we know that this life is not everything. There's a greater life to come. We want to invest in it. And unbelievers dread the end of life because of experiencing death without hope. But believers look forward to the greater life to come. So we wait diligently. And then we wait peacefully. We don't indict other people for the difficulties in our lives. We don't look for a scapegoat. We're not trying to find someone to blame. We don't want to gripe and complain. James chapter 5, verse 9 says, Do not grumble against others. I heard about a lady who complained and griped at her husband constantly. By and by, her husband died, and the wife engraved on his tombstone the words, Rest in peace. But at the reading of the will, she found out that he had only left her a dollar. And he left the rest of his estate to a friend. So his wife went back and had one more phrase added to his epitaph. Rest in peace till we meet again. <laughs> well, don't... Don't get frustrated with people when things don't go your way. Don't grumble against other people. Don't try to find someone to blame. Do your best. Do your best to live at peace with everyone. But we also live out patient faith when we wait confidently. We wait diligently. We wait peacefully. We wait confidently. Job's words are indicative of his remarkable patience and confidence. In one passage in the sixth chapter of Job, he says, whatever disappointment, whatever grief, whatever tragedy happens to me in this life, and then he adds this, even if God himself crushes me, even if God himself crushes me, here's what he said, Job 6.10, then I would still have this consolation, my joy <laughs> in unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Friends, that's the bar. That's the bar for patient faith. And I commend it to you today, when the circumstances in life are uncontrollable, when the people in your life are unchangeable, when the problems in your life are unexplainable, will you hold out by holding on to the fact that your heavenly Father is in control Maybe the more personal question here for some today might be, 
Have you given control of your life and your future to Him? You know, He is in control of everything except your will, the human will. The only thing He doesn't control, He won't control. You got to choose Him. And when you do, a whole new world opens up to you. Will you give Him control of your life and future today? Or if you need to get all in, in the church, there's a million excuses why you shouldn't. But they're all just that. They're excuses. It's a long list of stuff. Your dad was overbearing legalist, made you go to church all through your growing up years, and you're going to spend the rest of your life pushing back on that. That's, don't confuse your earthly father with your heavenly father. Not a good decision. You've walked on the wild side in life. You don't think you're worthy. He wants you just as you are. None of us are worthy. You don't have a corner on sin. All of God's children have a past that we've forsaken and that He has forgiven and forgotten. So this morning, you need to decide for Jesus. Do you need to get all in in a church filled with imperfect people just like you?